he's like being not some guy's fan full of porn mags or something. <laughs> and that's how he's building it. It's a library of salt. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not the opening <laughs> yeah. I was hoping for, but we've started recording already, so yeah. oh, thanks okay. very much. That Good to know. The, um, Good to sophisticated know. porn mag comments there mm-hmm. of the neuroscientist Dean Burnett. Yes. So, <laughs> welcome to Josie Long and Robin Ensis. Book Shambles. With Dean Bennett, with who is sporting a very festive uh, Peppa Pig, but the dad of Peppa Pig. Daddy Pig. Uh, yeah. T-shirt. Yeah. And now I believe the dad of Peppa Pig is played by David Rintoul? Uh No, no, no. Oh, it, uh, I think he was the original, but he was recast when, you know, um, uh, you know focus not, groups didn't quite work. Is it not David Rintoul anymore? Uh, no, it's not. I, I thought we were, who is it? I thought we were doing a bit here. But, um, no, no, no. Genuinely. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, right. Who's, who's the dad then in it? Oh, you know what? I did know that, and now I've forgotten something because uh, you've asked me. Can we just check in the studio? Uh, yeah. Who's the dad in Peppa Pig, please? Thank R- Richard you. Richard something. Uh, yeah. So, um... The, I'm, sure, I'm sure David Rintoul was involved. Uh, he was the werewolf in Legend of the Werewolf as well. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> and of course Brian Blessed's in it, and that yes. is certainly one of my Christmas mm. tips, is do buy Brian Blessed's latest volume of autobiography. Mm. It's really good. <laughs> Dean, I'm going to start yeah. off. You you write uh, brain flappings for oh. The Guardian, which That's is right. your regular... Uh, oh, put the head, headphones on then. You've got them. You're in charge today. Yeah, they're under your chair. Richard Ridings. 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 Oh, thank it's Richard you. Ridings. Yes. Oh, I yeah. always thought David Rintoul was more involved than he was. <laughs> I do that. I project David Rintoul into many <laughs> animated projects. <laughs> yeah. So you, this is the first thing. Before we get onto your pile of books you brought, mm-hmm. uh, work in the world. That you there's so many books about psychology, about neuroscience, mm-hmm. etc. How do people decide which one is balderdash, which one is bullshit, and which one has the seeds of excellence about it? That is something I'm still kind of st- sort of struggling with myself because <laughs> I get sent the, the, these books to review a lot, and although a lot of them are really well written in terms of you know, this is actually a well written book, it has a good structure, it has a good chapter, you know this 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 argument makes sense. I find a lot of time the book format isn't as uh, sort of viable for scientific arguments than perhaps like a journalistic paper. So if you are obviously a scientist or a scientist, as I call them sometimes, because I don't like to give myself airs and graces, uh, it's actually uh, sort of like you, you have to do your research. It has to be peer reviewed. It has to be put through several different panels. They have to say yes or no. You have to back up everything you're saying and say, well, here is the result of the experiment we did. In theory, that's how it should work. A book doesn't work like that. A book has to have like a narrative, a structure, and most of the books you get are people who have a theory, an agenda, or some sort of axe to grind. They fill a book all about that, and there's, there's a lot of cherry-picking going on. They say, this study, well, I think the brain works like this, so I, uh, these are the studies which back me up, and uh, someone mm. else, maybe someone else will write a book as a rebuttal to that. But you're talking about 300-odd pages here of someone's idea. Like, there's quite a few at the moment. Um, I'm not what sure. What about making up the mind? Do you know the one making up the mind? I don't yet. Yeah, I've actually got that on my list that's, of to dos. That's from yeah. a while ago, and that, mm. that that one is lots of experiments. That's lots of things about you know the phantom mm. limbs and uh, mm. going to some of the kind of V.S. Ramachandran work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did read one about it was called "We Are Our Brains" mm-hmm. by uh, Dick Schwab. Dutchman. Have you read that one? I have not. No. I have, Why uh, not? I, well, because um, well. Counters work, you know. If, if, when I, when I, I read, some help I read to relax, that and like that's actually work for me. So I don't just come home and carry on working. That's that's <laughs> my, that's where I want to start asking you things. What do you like to read for fun? Um, mostly sci-fi, uh, because <laughs> uh, since I was like 13, I've looked like this, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I haven't assumed I would anyway. Might as well just get into it. And it's so if you want to know what he looks like, he's <laughs> not dissimilar to me. One of those people who, if you turned his head upside down, still looks the same. Yes, we both yeah. have that kind of similarity. Yeah. In and, our I, and I do have a sort of, I look a bit like Daddy Pig. Hence, I've gone for the full um, T-shirt matching uh, face of Daddy Pig, voice of Daddy Rabbit. That's um, 
If you're not a pan of Peppa Pig, this makes no sense. But trust me, this is a brilliant observation. <laughs> no, it does. It does. It's just um, it's just a very uh, sweet way to describe yourself. <laughs> and also like a, a very funny like headline way to describe yourself. Like, mm. Anyway, yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, you read a lot of sci-fi. What were yeah. the, your favourite sort of first things that you found? Well, the first thing I heard you talking to Mark Gatiss about it. Um, I actually got into the sort of the Star Trek novelizations or the Star Trek sort of um, spin-off books. Which, photo novels? Um, no, just oh, they were very exciting. Mm. The photo novel is, not, I suppose, because we have the internet, yeah. you don't need a photo novel. But the idea that you would actually, do you know photo novels? You would have the whole episode just in photographs with all the dialogue mm. of the trouble with Tribbles or City on the Edge of Forever. I think I do know of those. Mm. And mm. it's literally the same as the film, but you the, the same as the programme, but you get to watch the pictures. Yeah. And mm. they did yes. it with Psycho as well, mm. Richard Annabelle, Common I think, approach. and, yeah. and uh, Frankenstein. And you can mm. just go and read, there's, a, there's the whole film. Do a lot of kids' books now, or like the, the, the books of the, of the popular TV shows, they have just the pictures from the episode with... Dialogue underneath, of course, because it's a children's film. The dialogue is a lot more simplistic, so you <laughs> can you can pay a lot more for the a lot less if you're so <laughs> so terrible inclined. value. No, terrible, mean, really awful value for money. But you know, children don't realise such things yet. So, so Star Trek novelizations, yeah, were they the James Blish ones or um, the first, earliest ones I remember reading were um, you know, Diane Carey. Um, no, she's a, a very good. Um, it, it seemed like a quality writer, and like I sort of, sort of did a bit of research on her background. She actually sails ships and stuff, so she has a lot of experience in um, you know, being part of a crew on a ship, and that sort of comes across a lot. Which wow. is, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I didn't know that until I read about two or three of her books. Um, First Frontier was the, one of the best ones, where Kirk and Co go back in time to stop the dinosaurs being saved. That makes any sense. You know, someone goes back in time, stops the dinosaurs being wiped out, and oh, they, have to, they have to fix that. Well, yeah, there's yeah. going to be some butterfly <clears throat> yeah. wings. Yeah, exactly. But the because I'm I'm not from a sort of a very well-connected background. This, the, the South Wales Valley I grew up in. We had BBC Two in '87. Huh. And that was quite an achievement. You know, that was a big day. We had we had the bunting out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> where where were you actually brought up then? Um, Garrow Valley, just north of Bridgend, uh, okay. right between Cardiff and Swansea. It's actually one of those. I say it's a dead end valley, literally, as in you can't drive through it. You go to the top, you have to come back and go down again. So at the top of our valley is a lot of like abandoned trucks. <laughs> just going through there again. There's a lot of people don't want to do that. Uh, so so it's, you could say it's a nature-made amphitheatre, but you instead see it merely yeah. as a kind of elephant's graveyard yes. of trucks and parks. Yeah, a yeah. deathly cul-de-sac. Yes. Because I was meant mm. to play Port Talbot once with my mm. book club tour, a uh, solo book club tour, and even on the day it got announced, whichever art centre was, someone sent me a message going, I don't know why you're coming to Port Talbot, we were going to see you in Cardiff. There isn't even a bookshop here, no <laughs> one will come. And then about three months later, yeah. sales aren't very good for Port Toll. Would you mind if we cancel? Okay, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, it's very. That um, may be very unfair to Port Toll. I'm not no. going to go. Or, in fact, everything there was merely factual. Mm. I was sent a thing from some of Port Toll, but he said, "Don't bring your books here. We'll come to them." <laughs> I we find that funny when someone's like, mm. "Why are you bothering to come here? Yeah. Don't, we don't deserve it." <laughs> very strong Welsh thing. A lot of I have a lot of Welsh comedian friends, and self promotion is really hard for us. And we just don't like doing it. Mm. Like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Which I respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Massively. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of it in terms... Of, I, if other people can do it, I find that a, an actual admirable skill in many ways. I mean, especially if they shouldn't be self-promoting. That's actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. quite a good uh, a good ability. But I, I Great don't... festivals, like, you know, things like uh, MacFest in Machuntleth mm. is, is amazing and the Larn Festival, mm. which if you've never been... If you, oh, you've done the Larn. Yeah. I'm bringing you yeah. again this hey, year, aren't we I? We went yeah. together. Robin, there was a uh, hen party in the crowd. Robin ripped his shirt oh, off. Yeah. And I told a very involved <coughs> yeah. story about when I was on Celebrity 15 to 1 and how mm. I won it. Yeah, it was I, um, a very... But Larn, mm. where you have this wonderful thing, again, though, has a delightful... It's, a t- it's not even a town, really. Mm. It's a village. 
Mm. And they still won't keep... The, you know, one of the shops doesn't bother opening during the festival. It's busiest time, but it goes... Nah, no. don't really want Dylan to Thomas get country. involved in that. Yeah, yeah it is where... Well, Oh, it's fantastic. My, my dad owns a hotel just um, like five minutes drive from Larn. So obviously oh. they get a lot of... Uh, it's the Corrin Resort and Spa. Excellent deals available. That one's... Yeah. That's a proper yeah, yeah, one, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I stayed there. Yeah, nice I had a it? massive room by chance. Hang on, yeah. was this when you did the festival? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's it's incredible. That's my dad's hotel, yeah. It was so big you could walk it's around It's huge, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's really it was weird. It a place to bed. I was a little bit thinking there would be a ghost. Obviously, <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts, but I was like... Was it going to be a sexy ghost or an evil ghost? Uh, child goes. Oh. So your dad owns that. That's yes. Yes. He's a well. He, he hasn't always. The last two years, it was not like I didn't grow up there. <laughs> that's not. Uh, that's my background. But thanks to the Land Festival, I actually almost did kill Phil Jupiter's, which is a you know bold statement to make. But I was staying there during the Land weekend, and I didn't know about this. I'm not very well connected. They said like no one's at the hotel tied. They're, they're all at the Land weekend. It's, oh, they explained what it was, and I was driving through Land on the way home the next day. And I was like, uh, but obviously a lot of high-profile people go to Land Festival. And I'm driving along. It's a small, like say, small, windy roads. I thought, is that Phil Jupiter's? Just walking inside. And it was. But I was so distracted by Phil Jupiter's, I swerved the car. Almost, almost took him out. <laughs> so his own fame uh, could have been the death of him. Which, yeah. you know, your which, admiration yeah. magnetised exactly, your yeah. car towards him. So like, so it's like it's like a metaphor for um, <laughs> something profound. <laughs> yeah. So you started out reading uh, Star Trek. Yeah, but I didn't get because again I'm quite poorly connected. I didn't understand that these weren't official episodes. I like really, I don't remember this one at all. I haven't <laughs> seen this one. I was genuinely furious. What so, kind of photo story it, is this? There's yeah. not even any photos. No, no, when, when was this one on? This is this must have taken ages. Must be a five parter. And I actually got like several thinking, I have never even heard of this character. Who is this? And uh, it took me like three or three or four weeks before I realized, hang on, these never happened. And then I sort of got the concept of if it's in a book of a TV show, it doesn't actually mean the TV show uh, showed that. And that, that, that was a mind bender for me. That was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that uh, broadened my horizons a bit. So Have you I, ever uh, read the um, Harlan Ellison uh, teleplay of City on the Edge of Forever? Oh, I think I read it what, ages ago. It's a very entertaining, because Harlan Ellison, who we've talked about before, who is an incredible, fertile mind, written many, many stories. <laughs> one of the, just furious, furious all the time. He's one, pay the writer. Pay the fucking writer. Oh, yeah. He's that guy. Yeah. And uh, his whole story about City on the Edge of Forever and how he believes Gene Roddenberry kind of spoilt it mm. and the plans that he had for it is, is a very... <laughs> I would highly recommend approaching the work mm. of Harlan Ellison. I do also like love... Someone I've actually read a lot of is Stephen Baxter. Are you familiar? Mm. Yeah. yeah. He does a lot of... He, he did the, um, the Long Earth series with Terry Pratchett recently. Oh, what? And um, I find him a very good writer, but I find a lot of sci-fi writers tend to be... They don't like people very much. And, and he clearly doesn't, because most of his books, he has destroyed either Earth, the solar system, or the universe n- a number of times. Yeah. Like in more, more and more elaborate ways, he's got clearly got excellent grasp of high-level physics. But the book jacket always says um, Stephen Baxter uh, once tried out to be an astronaut, but he didn't succeed, so he became the next best thing, a science fiction writer. <laughs> See, now, that, that, that isn't my logical progression there, like, you know, being a test pilot, or know, maybe someone who manned the controls at NASA. No, you don't just jump from astronaut to... And, That's like your PE yeah. teacher saying, well, I was going to be in the Olympics, yeah. but I did the next best thing. Yeah, I'm here to teach you uh, <laughs> astronautics. That's, um, it is, I've not really thought of it like that, because I... My favourite sci-fi writer that we always talk about is Kurt Vonnegut, and mm. I see Kurt Vonnegut as being really humane. And although he mm. like can be often very bleak and very pessimistic, I think mm. he also loves people, loves family, loves interrelatedness. Mm. So I guess when I think of sci-fi, I don't think of that other strand that is a lot more like we are people who have a lot of ideas and things that we want to create and play out, and, and about rules and yeah. systems. You mm. know, I, I've often found that, and I've found 
a lot of classic sci-fi I tend to struggle with because although I can tell it's a good book and it's well written, like a lot of Asimov stuff, a lot of um, Heisenberg, Heisenberg, Robert Heinlein, Heinlein. Heinlein. Oh, Heisenberg right. is um, the guy from yeah. uh, Breaking Bad. And um, I struggle with him as well. You know, he's a goodie, he's a buddy. I have to admit, I when I first saw those Heisenberg things, I thought, wow, that's a really brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh. Related, Pop yeah. culture comes yeah. to science's rescue yet again. <laughs> <laughs> Chemistry is cool for once. Marvelous. <laughs> um, but I. Uh, <clears throat> Because I, I, I like them, but I, I can always, I always, it always seems to me to come from the position of I have this brilliant idea that I think would make a great story, and it does, mm-hmm. and they sort of want to play that out. But the characters and people sometimes I feel are not so much incidental, but like they're not as important as getting this story out there. Yeah. And I find that a bit distracting because if, if a character is not believable to me, I find it harder to get immersed with. Mm-hmm. Like I, but also, the more classic ones now, because obviously they predict the future of technology. And at the time it was fine, but now we're like we're way past the point they mentioned. Like Asimov, like high level like Vance robots built on typewriters and magnetic tape. That like, I know this didn't happen. I, I can I, oh. I, I can't see any progression going oh, so that way. Like, you back the wrong horse, mate. Yeah. And therefore I, you're in obsolescence. Yeah. Because if it's set far in the future, you can sort of have this this disrespect of belief, oh this could happen, I suppose, even though you know it won't. This definitely did not occur, did it? And that, that sort of takes me out of it a bit. So then do, if you read like nineteen eighty four you're like well, you're yeah. still in the running. Yeah, so well, maybe it's an alternate history. No, stop, stop making excuses for Orwell, Dean. He's short-sighted. They um, are very delightful. The, the delightful mm. things you can find on the internet, which have, you know, Arthur C. Clarke in 1964 explaining what the world would be like in mm. 1999. And some of it's, you know, pretty spot mm. on. Or there is a brilliant film. I can't remember which company it made. You know, one of those ones called something like Penn Global Incorporated. <laughs> and it is one of these... Uh, it's 1999. Mm. This is how people will eat. This is how people will... And some of it you go, yes. And then some of you go, whoa, that's so way off. <laughs> but as Arthur C. Clarke says, when he's, he says, if you don't think, as, as I say these things, that they are incredibly way off and magical, then mm. I'm getting it wrong. If I'm only predicting what kind of... Well, we know. We know mm. because we just need to make this thing smaller and fit it into that. Mm. And so that's why the glorious failures are mixed with also incredible prescient successes as mm. well. Oh, exactly. That, that's, I find that really quite encouraging, the whole... Like, even recently we had the Back to the Future Day. I said, oh, oh. We, we haven't got hoverboards or flying cars. Future's rubbish. Yeah, but we've got small computers in our pocket which connected all the all of mankind's information. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's better yeah. than a flying <laughs> I'd have thought car. so, yeah. We're going hoverboard. It sounds it's dangerous. It's so mechanical. Like, mm. that vision of the future, mm. it, it doesn't think about all of... The, yes! Mm. It's all hardware based. It's all like, yeah. you know, what, what's the next big? You know, it's all flying based. Yeah. 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 Well, everything that has wheels one day won't have wheels. It mm. will hover. Is that it? Yeah. And everything else can be roughly the same. Mm. Yes, exactly. Food will be smaller and yeah. it's more square. Oh, yeah, I love the thing. Square. Look at the future. We have square plates. Why? <laughs> Silver clothes. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Shiny, squarer. Hovering. Also, the whole why thing... was it transport and logistics based? <laughs> now the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah. why are you focusing on that, guys? Yeah. That's doing the job. But also, like, the whole thing about jetpacks. People, I've done a piece about this. People complain, where's my jetpack? Oh, yeah. I will not trust you with a jetpack. Oh. That's an explosive device which propels you in the air. I, I don't, you know, also, to be a pilot, you have to have all these qualifications for a reason. Yes. I don't want, I don't want your average person flying around on explosives. That I, sounds bad. You're going to burn your legs. That, you're going to burn also, your yeah. legs. If it's, of course, a jet propellant place, it could be some sort of... Uh, Hovering mechanism or some sort of a helicopter oh. rotor. Bl- I'm, oh, here if we a, are. If, here it's a, it if it's a jetpack, obviously it would be that, wouldn't it? So, mm. um, yeah. But I mean, a solo <laughs> helicopter. Mm. They I... do. You can get those, but they're so massively impractical. You can. I'm well, sorry. What? Someone actually, you feel like you, but you find a guy was built to sort of a fly-in suit out of helicopter propellers, but oh my God. it's about five times the size of a human, and it obviously burns so much fuel 
and it's not exactly the most practical well, transport. Doesn't something wasn't feel anything other than dangerous. Mm. Isn't there something in one of those that was uh, created by something like that? Yeah, something the, that actually does function. Mm. Well, a lot of sci-fi stuff pops up in the real world. Some, some mentioned that you know in Star Trek they had all the monitors on the side of the medical beds. That wasn't the thing at the time, huh. but now it's obviously mm. the done thing. And I love the fact that. The, the two things genuinely interrelate mm. because you have people who as kids saw that mm. and then wanted to create it or just had it little embedded somewhere in their consciousness and so it became mm. a part of how they wanted to then design the world and and the same way around and like the idea that if you can invent it even if it's like impossible at the time just seeing it in culture does normalise it to some mm. extent and make it seem like it might be a good idea or might be realistic. Yeah. Just lead by example, just like, there's a thing that could happen. Yeah. And you find, oh, no, it couldn't. Yeah, but you know now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know for certain. All those, like, 50 years of your life you spent proving can't be done. <laughs> and that's uh, that's nice. Oh, that would be harsh to write <laughs> yeah. really whimsical science fiction mm. that you knew, if you to be, if you were, like, a super brain mm. and you knew none of the things you do could ever work, <laughs> just to con people into a lifetime <laughs> of failure to try and make it happen. Yeah. Keep the most driven people out of uh, the public eye for a bit. <laughs> what have you brought, though? You've brought some of your oh. books. So Speaking of the, you've, you've actually, we should say you've actually written a book as well, which yes, will be I possibly your co- not quite out by the time this. Uh, what, what's the date? Uh, February eighteenth is the release oh, of the, yeah, uh, really the paperback. Really. Okay, well, I bought you both one because of thank uh, you. No problem. I know you might have been seven already, but I've got one that was still ring binding. Oh, you can have a yeah. better one then. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. There you go. Um, oh no, this isn't my kind of thing at no. all. Well, yeah. you know, it's it is perfectly flammable if needed. Um, good doorstop. <gasps> no, I have a sort of uneasy compromise with my publishers in that I am willing to mention it and plug it if they agree that I'm at no point will I do it with any enthusiasm <laughs> or sort of a, a beat attitude. So The back. Idiot Brain mm-hmm. by Dean Burnett. Compelling and wise and rational. You know you can trust him. A great read, John Ronson. Yeah. Um, or should I say compelling, rational. You know you can trust him. Great read, John Ronson. <laughs> uh, he loves people doing impressions of him. He never gets bored of it. <laughs> Is that true? Um, yeah. No, it's not. Um, the uh, So... The Idiot Brain, mm. the starting point of this book. Um, well, back to what we started off with. I've read a lot of science books, and I've not really quite uh, agreed with the ethos mm. of it. It's always about anything about the brain, because the brain's currently very cool as, as, as a research area, and it's always going to be quite relatable. But it comes to the point of the brain is so amazing. It's, maybe it works like this, and it's got this, oh, this sort of mystique around it. And if you work with the brain like I do, for, like I've been a neuroscientist since 2001 in various guises, it's sort of like, like when you first move in with someone who you really, really like, and then their habits start getting really on your nerves. Like, this, why are they spending 40 minutes in the bathroom every morning? What are they doing in there? And the, the way they pick their teeth makes you want to kill things. Um, I have that sort of relationship with the brain. Like, I'm obviously a big fan. I think it's amazing. But so why are you doing that? What's wrong with you? Why is this like this? This is ridiculous. And it's, it's very flawed in many ways, in many brilliant ways, I think. And I wanted to try and put that across as opposed to the whole, we don't know what it does. What it does do is this. It proves my point. And ooh, mystique. No, and the whole idea of you know it's it's so otherworldly and it's a semi-philosophical organ. Uh, I just want to try and puncture that a bit mm. by explaining in various chapters how rubbish it can be and why it does stupid things. So, uh, what is your your starting point? I mean, if mm. you want to give me one of the great things where a, a, a flaw is both an advantage and a disadvantage, this flawed nature of the brain, mm. give me a starting point. Well, the whole thing about uh, social rejection and that people really are afraid of social rejection. There's a chapter on that how. Like people sing karaoke, but some people love that. Some people find that like a genuinely terrifying experience, but not in the sense of oh, people might not like it. They are genuinely afraid. They have the shakes, you know, the goosebumps, the trembling, like the just clench up. You've got a physical reaction to something which genuinely isn't physically dangerous. No one's ever going to die from singing karaoke unless it's to you know a, 
alcoholic steroid abusing music lovers in you know, a particularly violent crowd. Yeah. But there's no actual physical danger there, but you'd still experience the exact same consequences of it as if you were facing like you know, some sort of lion. I have that with stand-up <clears> where people, you know, <clears> it's a classic thing, people say, oh, you're so brave or whatever. <clears> I just try to say, look, you're never going to get hurt. Because <clears> that's when, when I stopped being frightened, I realised no one was ever really going to punch me or <clears> stab me or nothing bad. You're not Jim Jeffries, so you should be all right. Yeah. Exactly, I'm not going to go out. <laughs> I still think that's one of the most overrated punches. I you thought know, that whole so, thing yeah. about Jim Jeffries did an amazing thing. Yeah. One, he didn't do anything. No, he was punched and then over a bit. Off. So it's not like then. So, but the bloke seems like such a fumbled <laughs> punch for, for a YouTube sensation. <laughs> I've, not that I'm saying He's punch him better. Don't no. punch him better. Don't punch <laughs> any of us. I don't want any publicity about him. But it is funny that that because the way that people treat things like performance is mm. they just like I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't but that's because mm. shame is one of the most right how many things in your life are based around a fear of shame that's exactly like it yeah, every that, single yeah. thing that you have mm. like anything you can't control like mm. you know that fear where Felicity Ward did a wonderful show uh, it was, it was where, where's the toilet I think mm. it was, what which, if there's no toilet what if there's no toilet and it is all about the fact that she has a certain level of OCB uh, mm. where you get on a plane and you go oh my god oh, well the lose over there and there's someone's going and there's no way out and there's no so you you become obsessed with the thing you can't control is stopping mm. yourself weeing if you are jam packed. Yeah. Right? And so that in the same way that so that all of those things, you going on stage and leaving a room and it turns out that two hundred and fifty people, not that this ever happens, but they go, that's the worst thing we've seen. Mm. I just that's feel like so, I've had that in the past a few times mm. and I'm still here, so I'm like, ah, sorry. Well, no, you still... Yeah. Oh, well, I think you Most I'm, of my fears are like... a bit alpha, haven't you, nowadays? <laughs> no, I just feel completely... I feel quite zen about it. I feel like, well, I can't do anything else. Mm. I love doing it. I'm trying my hardest. Hopefully, I'll keep... I'll, you know, I'll, I'll feel like I'm getting better. Hopefully, people will like it. If not, what else can we do? It's not harming anyone. Fuck mm. it. Oh, I wasn't telling you to stop. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that that bit, it's a very hard thing to control. That moment of going, I don't think that went well enough. And now, oh, yeah, and and now painting I'm on the faces of, 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 of the annoyance. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's quite that, yeah, And that's sort of, basically, they, they, there's a lot, of, a lot of studies. There's plenty of other studies which counteract it, which is always something I'm trying to mention a lot in that. But it actually had a huge go at me saying, stop. Contradicting yourself in the next paragraph. Every single time. It's good. That's well, that's, that's what I thought. I thought that's the whole point of doing science a lot of the time. I wanted to get that across, but that's by the by. But it's the thing of our brain recognizes the groups we're part of as actually a part of our own identity. So, like, we actually have a big stock in whatever group we're currently re- relating to. Mm-hmm. So, people rejecting you is seen as an actual threat, perceived as such. Mm-hmm. So, it's encoded like it's, the, the, the social interaction part of your brain gets very stressed about that and then if so people... that's why all the Blairites at the moment are like yeah. we are being this because mm. they feel anyone rejected. anyone so like if you identify the internet's made a lot worse of course because you can now feel interacting and a part of a group which with people who are hundreds of miles away constantly yes. updated so you still have this link to these all these other people who you, you feel a part of you are like, it doesn't have to be it can be anything even trivial like I said if you're a Star Wars fan someone comes and tells you well, Star Trek's better then it's going to be bloodshed mm. even though that is like the most trivial of things possible these are two things which don't exist Completely subjective as to what's better. It is Star Trek, let's be honest. But um, then more, com- more complaints coming in. Blow, <laughs> I, I, I would agree. I, would, I, I honestly yeah, have no particular... I, I have no dog I mean, I'm not going to fight over it. No. Um, I have been to a Star Trek convention, but um, that was in Cardiff in 92. And, who uh, did you dress as? I didn't. I didn't know that was an option. Well, um, oh, exactly. And then you got All them like, chance. oh, I thought... Oh, but the, the best part was, like, I noticed there were no Klingons there because um, people dressed up. And I wonder what's going on. But it was actually the same day as a Rugby International in Cardiff. 
to go rest like a Klingon around the Welsh rugby guys. Like, oh, and it's, yeah, it would have been horrible. They probably Hang on, were you doing the Welsh rugby guy with the Klingon? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is exactly the point, yes. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Mm. But yes, is so that, that actually Klingon you did, though? I have no idea. Maybe. So <laughs> it's, it's if you feel as if you're part of a group, mm. you, you conflate that with your own identity. Yeah. Exactly. Like, That's so how you work out. These who are the you people are. I relate to. Yeah, it's like we, we have a lot of feedback from other people. Other humans are, are our main source of information, which is why anecdotal evidence can be so potent. You can produce like reams upon reams of actual data, but if you know someone who you respect, and they say actually no. That's going to carry a lot more weight because yeah. we are we are we, humans are a very friendly species. But in 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 the terms in terms of nature, we are actually very very friendly as as a. I know it doesn't seem like that, but. We can live in, you know, people, London as a, as a population density far out trips a lot of like termite mounds and stuff huh. because like they can only have a certain number of people living in them. And we walk around and follow the little yeah. Yeah. paths. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the dog ear thing, mm. which is once a dog's domesticated, no longer its ears reflect its paranoia. Mm. So they, they Yeah, they domestication soft, they has hang. a really weird effect on yeah. species. So yeah. d- d- there, you know, the, the ears are there going, what's that? What's that? Mm. What's that? And then once domesticated, the ear drops. So they flap around like the dog outside mm. the studio here. Because they're just like, oh, well, They don't right. have to be as regularly paranoid yeah. because they believe they're part of a... Well, the senses atrophy a bit because you know, you're not actually in danger because of the sensitizing, softening the world around us. It's very nice. So, this yeah. book sounds excellent, everyone must buy it. What okay. other books have yeah. you brought? Yeah, so, <laughs> let's go to some actual books. Um, we're talking about the sci-fi of you know, things which I, I quite like. This is my personal favourite sci-fi book, Kiln People by David Brin. K-I-L-N, as in what you cook clay in. Um... It's, I find it far more impressive. It's a sort of future, futuristic book, but it's more of a utopia than a dystopia, which is always, I find, a more challenging thing for right, because obviously dystopia is far more common, mm. zombie apocalypse, all that sort of stuff. This is actually a better world. But did you ever see the film Surrogates? No. It was awful, so don't, don't worry about it. Mm. But um, the concept is kind of similar. People live their lives through these duplicates they make of themselves. In this one, they're actually golems, clay golems. It, it invents a whole new type of science called solistics, where you can actually copy your mind state and print it onto a clay doll, and that becomes you for a day. It only lasts a day. So you've got disposable clones. And, like, green ones are the workhorses, like, black ones, jet black ones are the, the thinkers, grey ones are the analysts, and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's got a whole society where that happens. Obviously, unemployment is rife, because anyone's got their job and copy themselves 50 times a day and then do all the work. But it's also... Life is far more precious because they, um, disposable people are now exist, so people take a lot better care of their actual bodies, so they can live a lot better. And and it's um, yeah, it's it's also got a multiple person perspective because the main character copies himself four or five times, and you get it from all their different perspectives throughout the day. So uh, yeah, it, I just find it very um, very a heartening book. Very, uh, I fully recommend it. It's so fun. what do you think? You wow. as you said, the problem of writing about utopia. Mm. So what are how how is the jeopardy of the utopia? Then? Well, it's not it's not officially a utopia, and it's not like um, it it's a better future. Let's say that, but it's not a full utopia because there are still problems. Let's say massive unemployment. There's a thing called the purple wage, where people are just paid to not kick off, like uh-huh. they're like the standard living wage, essentially, but given to everyone to look after yourselves, and you can pursue art. Citizens' and, income. Yes, it's income. You can pursue art and hobbies and stuff, and then people become more artistic and more interested in other things. And sounds great. Yeah, and there's I'm lots of it. yeah, and there's lots of um, recreation going on because obviously that's a big business now because people have a lot of free time. But that's you know that's the thing, isn't it? I immediately when I think of sci-fi, I think of dystopia. Mm. That's that's basically the same thing to me. Mm. And of course, it isn't all dystopian. Mm. No, I just think it's far, it's far more achievement, like you say, because there's no jeopardy. My other favourite is personally Ian M. Banks's culture series mm. that's a utopia but in space 
Like they've advanced so far, technology is taking care of every single problem, and it's just you no know, purely hedonistic lifestyles, huh. which sounds great. The machines take care of everything, but this whole underlying concept of, of course, we're all good because being evil and bad—that's that's thinking that's that's a sign of an inferior intellect. So obviously, it's like an, an air of pretension, like of of course we're not evil. That would that would be obscene. And uh, yeah. So yeah. what in, in the idiot brain? Go back to your excellent book that's available mm. on the eighteenth of February. Um, the, <laughs> Thank uh, you, Robin. What? Because uh, you're not going to bother to poke. No, no, I'm not. No. Um, but things like the human predilection to to go, oh, everything's getting worse. Everything mm. is, you know, to be drawn towards dystopian. Where does that come from? Where is that? Is that in we the do. same way as yeah. the greater f- you should fear that and not mm. bother about thinking things are going to be good because you learn nothing if things are, mm. are, are good. It's only by brain mechanisms paranoid. tend to be generally geared towards expect looking for threats and dangers. So like obviously we have this warning system, hippocampus, amygdala, periaqueductal grey. That's a fun word to say. If you do uh, that again, I will. I will periaqueductal grey. See, I can do it when I'm uh, thinking I'm lecturing someone. <laughs> um, that's the uh, no. This is of. Danger system whereby it picks up things from the sentry and tags things for potentially dangerous. But because we are so sophisticated, we are, I mean, can't argue that, that uh, we can actually theorize dangers, we can expect things, we can imagine things. Um, but anything dangerous becomes a bit more potent than something positive. But also, it's the context we're in as well, because, you know, <coughs> people will say criticism stings a lot worse than praise. I Maybe mean, just that's common, you know that. You're on stage, you can have a thousand people laughing, one person looking mm. like thunderous, and they're, they're the one. Think, oh, but maybe they know something no one else does. You always lean towards that because the basic like hormones release, like uh, oxytocin. Some people say when pleasurable things happen, cortisol. When like, unpleasant things happen, cortisol has a, has a longer laugh, half life in the body. It just lasts oh. longer. So it's it just. That's and that's why when yeah. you get furious, like I remember mm. when I went to see the Pixies, and we were meant to have uh, downstairs standing tickets, and mm. then we had upstairs sitting tickets to oh. the Academy, and I was so angry, and then I couldn't enjoy them doing, uh, you know, even wave of mutilation. And was that because the cortisol had come out and ruined my Pixies gig, and that's, therefore I couldn't get rid of it? That's part of it. I mean, I, I don't want to start. Can to... I inject myself with something to get rid of that if I have another situation where I think I'm going to be standing? What about deep breathing? Does that get rid of it, deep breathing? Well, I think that's more to do with the immediate reaction because the, the anger in the brain triggers off this uh, competing system. There's a left and right side of um, one is sort of about motivation. One is towards and one is away from. So you can either be, sort of, oh, leave that alone, that's dangerous, or I'll, I'll go sort that out. And anger sort of stimulates the one on the left, which makes you want to deal with things, but it also makes you more optimistic, which is why when you're furious, you can just, just wade in and start fl- fl- uh, the fists flying around, even though you know full well you're, you're outnumbered or gunned or something, but it makes you want to resolve the problem, which is why I have seen a furious man actually punch a horse once. That was that was a thing. Where did if he punch it? Nietzsche had been there, Nietzsche would be pretty angry about that. <laughs> Where did that. he punch it? The horse, um, on the side of the head. I, th- I think he actually broke his hell. hand. Cause if, Bloody if, if, hell. If you've seen a horse, it's actually yeah. not... What did the horse do? It d- d- barely flinched. It's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't got much of a brain to be bothered about, and it's got a massive solid head. Why did he punch the horse? He was, um, he had a, I think he had a big fight with his wife nearby, and um, she drove off, so he left him stranded there. And he actually said to the horse, what are you looking at? Because <laughs> genuinely furious at this horse for being there. But yeah, so don't ever punch a horse. That's, that's uh, unadvisable. The horse didn't, bother, the horse didn't mind, essentially, because um, I, I, I can't stress this enough. It's a horse. You don't really a have... lot to, I think there's a lot of lessons <laughs> well, about that. Well, you can slap a horse, horse just friendly. Mm. To be friendly, you'd slap a horse's flank. Mm. Like, good horse, good horse. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was a particularly big guy, so like you know, the horse barely registered this as 
once again, it was a horse. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no way around this obstacle in terms of how <laughs> I want yeah, a lot to learn from this. Don't start to give us advice about how you can effectively punch a horse. <laughs> no. That's not going to be popular with the kind of people who listen to this. No, no. Thought you'd probably um, be having problems punching yeah. horses. I don't. Lose away. Just go straight up with a. Don't say that. <laughs> okay. I will. This is so your next book, which yeah. is I hope not about punching horses because it seems to be an no. obsession with you. <laughs> oh, speaking um, of books which are scientific but also a bit more um, approaching it from my perspective, this is uh, the Tale of Dueling Neurosurgeons by Sam Keane. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's basically the history of neuroscience, how we, how we learn stuff from people with terrible injuries, which is, of course, before we had scanners, that's how that's wow. how you do things. Yeah, because you have to wait around for someone to have a terrible head injury. And see what happens to them. Mm. Like then, Sherlock punching the corpses. Mm. Yeah. Or the guy punching that horse that time. Which, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that. But, um, now, he also wrote a book, I believe, about the periodic table, didn't he? I don't know. He's, um, I think he's a neurosurgeon, so he's got oh, a book on the inside. The, uh, wrote, mm. Well, that's an interesting the injury thing, where mm. you know one of the the, the the horrors of war is sometimes very you know educational mm. as well. I mean, there's a because wasn't it? Uh, oh, he was the the uh, gladiator doctor amongst many other things. Oh, uh, yeah, I know you who mean. apparently that he definitely thought that the brain was really where it was at in terms of where our our mind was, mm. because he noticed that people who'd had their arm bitten off uh, behaved very differently to people who'd had the top of their brain eaten by a tiger. <laughs> Yeah, old um, Roman times. Um, it's not Galen, was it? Yeah, yeah. Cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Galen. Yeah, but that's 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 oh, where it came. Oh, Galen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> no, I learned about him. Uh, I did a history of medicine module in my GCSE. Oh, so did I. History. I that's, that's, it's one of the things that stays with you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an incredible Aseptic thing. surgery. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Sir Robert, the um, the, the the fastest surgeon who actually got a three hundred percent mortality rate. Yes, oh. which was good at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the violinist thumb I was thinking of. It's not yeah. him who wrote the periodic table book at all. I'm an idiot. Take your book away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so give me an example. So, so the examples of uh, what we discovered from the, from the tale of Julie neurosurgeons. Um, well, it's the um, oh the president who got shot, but uh, did, didn't die. Um, oh. Roosevelt was a... Not, not Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, I want to say. Wilson, that might have been. Right. Either way, the guy was in a wheelchair for a while. His chief surgeon um, clearly had no idea how the brain worked. And as a result, he was just constantly prodding and poking him. The point he was actually prodding in the spine quite a lot to see what happened and just putting things in there, just literally ad libbing. Because, oh you know, if he, if someone's so self, uh, self-confessed self and so self-sure, he thought, oh, this will be fine. Like, oh, the spine's not going down. And he actually ended up, didn't kill him just by general infection. Because if you poke... Yeah, that's not Roosevelt, because Roosevelt yeah. was, it was polio, no. wasn't it? Yeah, polio. Wasn't he, yeah. Uh, but either way, he was... Um, I'm terrible in names, but which, which is also explained in one my of the book, presidents. The Idiot Brain. One, actually, yeah. yes, I actually explain why people are terrible in names. Why? Um, no, no, you have to buy, you have to buy it for that. That's <laughs> oh, the, look at that's him now. Selling I points. didn't take him on. Do you remember that shambling man? <laughs> oh, hello! I won't publish. Oh, I'm so ashamed <laughs> of doing my book. Read my book. Yeah. that's all it took. Hmm? By yeah. having us well. beta individuals, mm. we have propelled him into an alpha domain. Mm. Well, that's thank you for that. That's much appreciated. And was yeah. there a big discovery sort of made? Hastened by hmm. dueling. Um, it's more of a, dueling is actually maybe the wrong term for it. Basically, two neurosurgeons who were working at the same time to try and sort of establish oh. theories on the brain. Like I thought that they were dueling injury. The, the, the thing there are a few in, in their throat, like from combat. As I said, the, the, the matters of war thing. But yeah. the, the, the obvious example comes back to uh, Phineas Gage with his spike through his head. See, is it hard to write a bloody book about the brain without mentioning Phineas Gage because when I was doing research into mm. the show about the mind and the brain 
the number of times that I looked at different pencil illustrations of a hot mm. bolt going through the skull of a man. Mm. Who's Phineas Gage? Who's Phineas Sorry. Gage? No, it's fine. If you've not read about this, why would you know? <laughs> this is uh, Phineas Gage was a railway worker, and uh, basically he was there was an explosion and it shot through. It wasn't really a bolt, was it? It was kind of a, it was a steel spike. It yeah, was it was spike. a proper hefty Went right through his his uh, skull, mm. but because it was so hot, apparently it was like, smooth it was as well. Versions, it was a really smooth, smooth spike, yeah. so it kind of cauterized the wound yeah. as it went through. A weirdly clean wound, right up through the jaw, straight through the head, and it actually landed about 10 metres away. It was that level of... And then yeah. he behaved differently afterwards. Mm. Which now seems... Now, he seemed more aggressive, didn't he? Well, that, you know, there's the thing, that, which, I, which, I actually, yeah. which I actually bring up, because I find it quite annoying, in that it wasn't at the time when, I, when you were recording... It was 1800, so like a lot of the recordings were... A lot of them were posthumous. A lot of time it was... He actually did, his personality apparently did change, became less reliable, he became sort of more aggressive, but eventually he became better again the last like few years of his life. He was spent as a stagecoach driver, which isn't something you can do if you're a violent maniac, because you have to take passengers and be really? reliable. So obviously he got over it and then died at a more normal lifespan. Huh. But a lot of uh, famous psychologists at the time, who were, as you might point out, you know, rich old white men, huh. decided, oh no, this proves my theory. So they've sort of spun out all these weird stories about Phineas Gage, who was dead at the time, so he couldn't answer back. And there's no evidence to contradict them. So this whole thing has been blown out of proportion, like a spike through the head. And um, yeah, so like he's, he wasn't nearly as bad as the his reputation suggests. It was just... Uh, yeah, there's loads yeah, of different yeah. versions of... It's become like the shortness cat of brain surgery. It's just a reference people know and what does that mean? Ah, cat, box, dead, alive, isn't it? It's brilliant. It's also <laughs> the simplicity of it, isn't it? Going, yeah. he lost some of his brain, and then we realise that different bits of the brain do different stuff, and therefore. Yeah. So that's. The... Yeah, it's, it's very also, much. Also, he might have just been grumpy because he had a great big bloody hole in his yeah, head. Yeah. He might that's have enough, even yeah. if you ignore maybe bits mm. of the brain that made him less. He's going, you yeah. know, I've got a hot. Do you know what I got in compensation? Yeah. Almost yeah. nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing. No, but in all seriousness, you'd be yeah. like, why is my life so fucking yeah. difficult and unfair? <laughs> I. Steve it's next door didn't get a it's raining. I've got a hole in my head now, so I've got to sort of get a. I've always got to wear a cap. We nearly yeah. run out of time, so yeah. we have to have a couple of final books from um, you. Yeah. Um, oh, we all know that one. This is the one. Um, this is Tybor Fisher. Good to be God. I've never read this. Um, it appeared in my mailbox one day in work. Whoa. It was sent to me unannounced. I don't know who sent it. I don't know why. Whoa. And it's all about a guy who sets up a cult and becomes a god, which makes me really worry about reading it because if this might be some sort of meta commentary on what's actually happening. Um, I want someone else to read it and tell me what it's about. Cause... So if someone could read Tybal Fisher's uh, book, what's it called again? How to be good, uh, good, 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 good to be God. I thought this rational leaning podcast might uh, have some listeners about this. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. If anyone's read it, get in touch with us. Tell yeah. us what you think. Do Whether a little Dean book should risk us. reading it himself. Mm. We, we just don't know. I like yeah. the brought in a book that you're like, I've not read this, <laughs> but. Uh, no. Could when, someone else do it? Can someone else me? take it off my hands? I don't really. I'm, I'm a bit suspicious of it. It scares me slightly. Oh, I read. Don't read this it. book if you're stupid. I bought I it. Uh, I tried to read it. Yeah. He wrote one about stand-up comedian, and I didn't want to read it. I hate fiction about stand-up comedians, especially when it's written about people who aren't by people who aren't stand-up. Mm. There was one called the mother-in-law joke from about 1987, which was. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, I bought a couple of books. Oh, did you? Well, oh, we yeah. haven't got time for them. <laughs> I brought loads of books. So I'm going to bloody going on about them, am I? You also uh, brought a Spike Milligan as well, yes. which is because when we were talking with Mark Gates, we we're talking a little bit about when authors die. That I mean, mm. and hopefully Spike Milligan is still. I mean, he wrote so much, especially mm. to, yeah, towards the end, just yeah, you know, prolific. Loads, yeah. Uh, but. Why uh, you've got Adolf Hitler, my partner's down for? I think there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I've also recently been a comedy fan. I've been getting into a lot more comedians' biographies or autobiographies, and I still find this one the hardest one to match up to because it's his war diaries. So it's 
autobiographical, but um, I found the first five or six pages are like funnier than any comedy book I've read in, in total. But also, this is a book um, bought to me by, by my girlfriend. She went on a trip and came back and said, I thought you might like these, the box set. And um, I don't, it's the first time anyone actually bought me a book properly. I thought, I'd better marry you then. And I did. So, um, uh, so And it's all worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, I've got uh, two children now, and so it's kind of stuck. <laughs> uh, all thanks to Spike Mill and going to war, <laughs> which is a weird way to look at it, so I it's suppose. It's quite a nice consequence yeah. of uh, so it's, it's something, something good time. came out of World War II at the end of it. Yeah, it was, we, know, we, we, we like to do it down, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it was all worthwhile, really. Because <laughs> it all benefited me personally. And Pacoon mm. is a very good novel. Yes. Mm. Never, never read uh, Pacoon. Yeah, both my parents are big fans. Laughingly, I felled her with a right cross. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. thank you very much. What are your books? And we'll talk about them next time. I've brought in a, few, a couple of comic books. Um, this is... Uh, it's the it's by the author of the gigantic beard that was evil, which is his famous oh, one. It's yeah, a very yeah. beautiful mm. picture book. But these are this is just called Some Comics by Stephen Collins, and um, he does satirical uh, sort of topical, but not 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 so topical as to make mm. them not lasting um, comics that are published in the Guardian or I think the Observer. But one of the two, and they're absolutely beautiful and they're so funny. Mm. And he did one that's his most famous one is about Michael Gove <laughs> and um, there's oh, that's him. Yes, yes. And Michael I used Gove to be a like, journalist. <laughs> yeah, I wrote two articles about flying a plane. <laughs> and then I've got this, which is the book of P. His, Brainy's book of lists looks great. Paul B. Rainey. Paul he, B. Rainey. He um, Paul B. Rainey wrote this <coughs> brilliant. Uh, graphic novel which was a series of comics to begin mm. with called There's No Time Like the Ple- Present and in that they discover this thing called the Ultranet which is like the internet but mm. but reveals all of the future mm. and you basically there's this watershed moment where pre-Ultranet no one mm. could travel through time and post-Ultranet you can so people off travelled back to before the ultranet and got stuck there and hmm. it's brilliant and mind bending and the book of lists is sort of his short and more fun comics hmm. but thank you we've got no more time uh, we will continue your recommendations uh, hmm. next week Josie Long thank you very much Dean Bennett uh, thank you very much very much looking forward to your book available on the 18th of February yes. yeah. uh, called thank Idiot you. Brain hmm. and uh, Josie Long thank you very much for coming in Thank you, you very much for being me. here. Thank okay, you as well. I'll point that out. Should, I don't uh, think I thank you enough. Yet. It's um, very much appreciated. Let's, uh, you've not told me I'm books. sorry to spend so much time being out. Yeah, well, tell me this about the price. It's fine. It happens all the time. So, thank you very much to everyone who has uh, pledged money to keep this going uh, at Patreon. Uh, here are a few of the people who have done this. Uh, we will try and read out different people every single week. So, thank you. Mark Allen, Rich Black, Jill... Elizabeth Foote, Heather Simmons, Jenny Durkin, Ian Rennie, Jodie Brode, Don Gibson, Emma Dermott, Al Knapp, Morag McFarland, Martin Lane, Daniel Giddings, Becky Mullins, Sophie Hagen. That's nice, Sophie Hagen. That's that's that, nice. Yeah, thank you. That. It was nice of all of you again. Nice of all of you. Just that we know that person. There we go. Sean Morgan, uh, Julie Amphlett and Hayley Fisher. That was Josie and Robin's book shambles. You also heard Dean Burnett. Goodbye. <laughs>